Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. What's up, family? We are Terrell and Jarius, the host of Let's, Let's Go, Go there, there, where we will, in fact, go there every single week. Every Wednesday in this podcast, no topics are off limits for us. We will be pushing ourselves and you to see different perspectives, challenging what you think you know, and have fun all at the same time. So listen, I want you guys to go ahead and buckle up because going there is going to be the ride of your life. See you guys next week. Your expectation is to stretch, to bleed, to birth, to breastfeed, to to work, to clean, to do all these things and make it look like nothing happened at all. Make it look like nothing occurred here when everything occurred here. You literally passed a human through your body. You grew it with your organs, with your blood, with your efforts, and then you nourished it with your body. But please make it look like nothing happened. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to Real Pod, everybody. Hope you're having a fantastic start to your morning. And I hope you are just as excited as me for today's guest. We are being joined by the iconic Sarah Nicole Landry, aka The Bird's Papaya. If by some crazy chance this is the first time you're hearing of The Bird's Papaya, it's okay. I'll forgive you. But head to your Instagram right now, type in that username, and check out Sarah's profile and definitely give it a follow. She is just wonderful in so many ways. Not only Does she talk about important topics like body acceptance, mental health, and empowerment? But Sarah also is such a beautiful, gifted writer. And her captions are like little stories every time they come across my feed. They're eye-opening and they're heartwarming and so comforting. Writing is actually how Sarah got started in this industry. She began her blog, The Bird's Papaya, over 10 years ago after feeling inspired by the camaraderie of stay-at-home moms. But what started as a late-night passion project quickly turned into a massive community where Sarah has cultivated a powerful social media presence that is changing lives every single day. I'm so glad she joined us on the show. You're going to love it, and we're about to get started. Before we do, I want to give a special shout out to Sydney Logan, who left a review last week saying, Real Pod is truly amazing. It is my highest recommendation for podcasts. 
on every platform of Victoria's, whether it's RealPod, TikTok, Instagram, it's just a space that you will feel safe. And listening to this real podcast and seeing her real posts has a way of helping you realize that we are allowed to be imperfect. RealPod has changed my outlook on life, and I hope everyone gives it a listen. Sydney, thank you so much for this heartfelt review. It truly makes my day to read something like this, especially knowing that the podcast is having an impact on you means the world to me because podcasts often feel very one way. There's not likes and comments like on social media. So I'm just out here hoping that you guys are enjoying it and you are learning something every week. There is one way I can hear from you, though, and that is by leaving a review on iTunes. So if you want to be like Sydney, head over to iTunes where you can leave a rating and a review. It takes just a few seconds and you might be the special shout out on next week's episode. Be sure to follow RealPod on Instagram at RealPod, where we post behind the scenes and guest information. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get that automatic download every single Wednesday. All right. Well, it's time. Let's dive into today's episode with the one and only Burt's Papaya, Sarah Nicole Landry. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time. You are literally, I think, my favorite Insta follow (gasps) from both perspective of your content. Like, it hits my heart. But then also, if I put on my business cap, I'm like, she's a genius. I'm like, and she's constantly going. And this is beautiful. And and she's got kids. And I'm over here and I can't get a post out with like (laughs) every two days. You're hilarious. I don't even have any strategy whatsoever. I wake up every day and I post what might feel good, but I have to get better about not posting so much because I put a lot of pressure on myself. So, but thank you. Honestly, I I'm so, I'm so honored. You, you one time phoned me and we were like, I just want to chat through like how you do this. And I was like, (laughs) hell yeah, let's, let's talk shop for a minute. So I'm super honored because as somebody who really struggles with imposter syndrome, I love hearing that some people just slap it together. So that's me. I slap her together and uh, it's working (laughs) out. Thanks for taking that call. And for people listening, I think I've shared this before in some of my content, but I'm a big fan of finding someone who does what you do and does it well or is better Mm -hmm. than you or whatever and asking them how. And of course, if the person says, no, I can't, I'm busy, whatever, that's fine. But I'm constantly seeking out like mentors in whatever area it is because, and for social media, I mean, there's no guidebook. So thank you for being so generous and and helping me. Speaking of pressure, speaking of imposter syndrome, How are we today? Like, how are we right now? Oh my gosh. You know, right now I'm really going through releasing a lot of guilt. I listened to Shattered Glass podcast with their interview where Kristen Bell and Monica interviewed Oprah. And never in a million years would I have thought that Oprah deals with any sort of people pleasing. I was like, you're Oprah. Don't you just like rip through rooms and do stuff? And then at the same (laughs) time in this episode, and I'm not going to spoil it, but she talks about, she talks about people pleasing a lot, but she also talks about, you know, at one point she was saying that in the morning she goes and like makes herself a cup of tea and like grabs mint from her garden, lemon and all this stuff. And I was like, you have time? you have time to do that in your Oprah. And so I've really just, ever since I listened to that, I've been really struck with the fact that I am rushing through life, through work, through experiences. I am so terrified of upsetting people that sometimes it comes forward so much. And at the same time, I'm 
you know, forcibly pushing myself to be who I am throughout that all to put out posts that, you know, are for my own good, not for the good of what everybody else maybe came to come to like. And uh, really just honoring who I am and honoring the capacity that I have. And instead of saying, you know, yes to everything, practicing saying no and not following it up with a but, but I'll do this, but I'll pacify it with that. So that's where I am right now. I'm very much in the weeds of letting go of a lot of guilt that I want to do it all. I can do it all, but I shouldn't do it all at the same time. Obsessed. First of all, the thought I had in the beginning was, does Oprah really do that? I mean, I love her. I don't think she's a liar, but can you imagine Oprah wandering into her garden and picking a mint leaf in the morning? (laughs) I don't know why that, I don't know why that struck me. I guess I just feel because I can't even friggin' get my laundry into the hamper in the morning. How does a woman of Oprah's, you know, grandeur have the time to go out to her garden and pick mint leaves to put in a hot cup of water? It just really took me back that that's somebody who has learned to say no. So where do you think your desire or urge to rush and accomplish comes from? Because the first thing that I think the general population thinks of is that we praise that, right? Society praises telling people you're burnt out or you didn't sleep last night is almost a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think like parents in a weird way want to hear their kid didn't sleep because they were studying, which I think is the root of the issue. But I think we kind of encourage not taking care of our mental health. Oh, a hundred percent. And we do it in really bizarre ways. We don't overtly do it, never. But I remember one time watching Ryan Seacrest and someone was asking him how he does it all. And he said that he, you know, only sleeps for four to five hours a night. He's conditioned his body to only sleep that little. That way he can exercise. He can plan for his interviews. He can do a radio show. He can do a TV show. He can do all of these things. And he only has time for five hours of sleep. So he makes that work. And I was like, wow, that is so admirable. That was my impression was that is so admirable. (laughs) And from there, I remember trying to do five hours of sleep. And I remember trying to like okay, if I wake up at, you know, 4 a.m. and then I get ready, then I can go to the gym and then I can do this. And, you know, that lasted like two days before I was like, I'm exhausted. I'm falling asleep at the dinner table. I'm not doing well with this whatsoever. And, you know, everyone does have a different level of capacity. And I think it's really difficult to see people and, and how we really congratulate people for that hustle. Like everyone will always say to me, like, I appreciate your grind. Like that is incredible what you do. But I'll tell you where I think the roots of it came from, because back 13 years ago, I was a stay at home mom of two little girls. We didn't have a second car. So I mean, I mean, when I say stay at home, I mean, I stayed my ass at home all day with like two <laughs> babies. And I was 23. I was not much younger than yourself. I was 23, had two kids and just creative energy was just so flowing through me. But there wasn't a lot of ability to do anything about that. And that's when the blogosphere started to open up. And I remember reading mom blogs, reading craft blogs, and I felt so connected to community for the first time. I was living far away from my family at the time. And I just felt like I wasn't so alone. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this too. I'm going to go and like publish a blog. And I genuinely thought that I was going to get recognized at the grocery store within an hour of publishing a blog. (laughs) I thought that's how websites worked. And so I, I started, you know, Googling how to code my own blog, how to do this, how to do that. And I would do it in the nap times. And I would do it late at night until my like kids were finally like after they went to sleep. So like around 11 PM, I was finally settling down myself. 
And so I was really working for this passion project that would be the Bird's Papaya, named after my two daughters, um, nicknames Gemma Birdie and Maya Papaya. And I started this, you know, atrocious blog. It was so bad. I mean, it was like the worst crap you've ever put on the internet. And I loved it. I just kept showing up and I kept doing it because I was itching for this community. And then life kind of moved forward and we're going to fast forward a little bit here. Instagram became a thing and all of that stuff. And, you know, I had a decent little following on the gram and then I was a single mother. I went through a divorce and I moved in with my parents and I was working two different jobs to make ends meet. So I had a part-time office job during the day and a part-time serving job at night. So I would be up into the office by 7 p.m., picking the kids up from school and making it to the restaurant by 4.30. So I just got really, when we talk about hustle, like that was a hustle that at that time I was like, I don't even know how I survived that season. And it wasn't that much unlike the one before it was, you know, the early mornings, the catching a break whenever you could things piling up at home because I was prioritizing, you know, my passion projects and all this stuff. And then trying to find room for myself in there. So that when now I'm at the point where everything is kind of like I'm remarried, we're in a good spot, got four kids now. I don't even want to say that sentence. It freaks me out. And I'm running this business that is my own. It's really hard to not when it's your own stuff. It's like something you've worked on for 13 years and has now come to a place where it's working out. It's really hard to say no, because it does feel like you've worked over a decade for this for no pay, for no reward. And now it's happening. How long will this be there for? And so you start to kind of lean into doing, 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 because it's all you've ever done. You forget that the purpose of, you know, fine, like working and doing stuff is to afford yourself a life is to live a life. And I'm now in the position where I should just be taking time for myself. I should be working harder on my mental health. And unfortunately, what keeps happening is I keep finding out that I'm not okay at the exact moment I'm about to crash. <laughs> so I'm like, I feel good, 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 boom. And it's done. And like, where did she come from? Where did that come from? And it just bursts out of me. And there is no, and this is why I feel like people follow me and you're like, you were happy all day. And then all of a sudden you're bawling your eyes out. But that's like, that's how emotions work for me. It's a buildup. But I visualize a gate inside my body and I put it in my chest. And so I envision it right in my body and envision the things that are building up at that gate that I just don't have time to tend to and I don't have time to acknowledge. And so eventually things at that gate are going to build up and then they're going to explode through. And that essentially is how my emotions tend to work is it's an explosion through that gate and I feel it all and I reset myself and then the gate sets back again. When will I learn to stop and to open up the gate door and let things flow and go as they happen? I don't know, because that's where I am right now. But I love what I do and I love my kids and I love my husband. I love doing things with my friends. And I just made a post today. It was like, you can do it all, but you can't do it all at once. So I'm really just working on that. And is this the first time you've had this realization in your life? Because I found with similar struggles, I have them like 10 times over before I finally make changes. Yeah, it'll happen many, many times. And I will often go and create solutions. So recently, you know, we hired a part-time nanny. This is something to really help alleviate some of the pressures. I was reading your post about this and I loved it. But I felt so much shame. 
so much shame around it. I don't know why. Like, why do we as women feel so conditioned to literally do it all and be it all? And and I'll tell you what I think it is, because if you go back generations, if we're going to look into like mom guilt or women guilt in general, go back generations and the entire role of a woman was to child rear and to keep a home. And so then, and and also you had to look good doing it. This was like your entire job. Like they used to, there used to be lines about, you know, make sure your lipstick is fresh before your husband comes home and the hot meal on the table and the, ch- and the children are, you know, quiet and good and in fresh clothes so that your husband comes home to a stress-free environment. But then along the way, we were like, you know what? We want jobs too. We want careers too. We want to do it all too. And so we did that, but we didn't let go of the other stuff. So now we're still existing with this generational pull that we watched our mothers go through guilt and the mothers before them of this conditioning of your job is to child rear. Your job is to please your husband. Your job is to keep the home, but also you now also have a job. So it's huge. And then at the same time, I think they say 87% of entrepreneurs are women. So then make yourself an entrepreneur during it where like you kind of have choice every single day, but you don't because when we talk about the hustle, the hustle is harder for entrepreneurs. There is no nine to five. It's a 24 (laughs) seven. So uh, yeah. It's so funny you bring that up because literally yesterday I was thinking, and I I live with my boyfriend. We've lived together for like five, six months. So it's fresh and we're getting our routine down. And I thought to myself, you know, I've never woken up and made him breakfast before he goes off to work. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe I've never done that. You know, I want to be caring. I want to be maternal. I want to be nurturing. I've never made him breakfast. And then I'm thinking, Max has never made me breakfast before my day of work. You know, I don't think he's tossing and turning that he's never made me breakfast (laughs) before the work day. And so you, you saying that now helps me understand, you know, I think it is that my mom did that for my dad and her mom did that for her dad. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I'm kind of breaking that mold. So it's, it's tough to feel like I am a, I am a great woman or girlfriend or lover if I'm not doing those things. But also, Sarah, I'm curious if you have ever felt this way. I feel this constant shame that I should, like I bought the book, The 5 a.m. Club, because I'm like, I got to wake up at 5 a.m. and I got to win the day before anyone else wakes up. I haven't even opened the book. (laughs) (laughs) That's the most relatable thing I've ever heard. I buy a lot of self-help books and I just never read them (laughs) because where's the time? And that's the problem is like we want to create the, I think we think that by, by learning certain things and by, and by hearing certain things that somehow this window of time just opens within our world and suddenly we have more capacity and like, goodness gracious. And I think this is why for me, laundry builds up so much because it's something that affects me. It's something that isn't affecting everybody else. Like my kids can all, like they're all equipped to do their own laundry. My husband does his own, but my own piles up. My closet is a mess because it's the one space that only impacts me. So I let that one slide. I let that one go, even if it frustrates me so much. And I never feel together. Like to wake up every day into chaos is a bizarre feeling, but I've never given focus to that because I'm like, there's no room for that there has to be room for everything else. You know, today I spent 45 minutes on the phone just scheduling doctor's appointments and stuff for my kids. Like there's so much like little tiny things that get sprinkled within already what you're trying to do within a day, just existing as a human being, layering your jobs and your dreams on top of that. What I find so fascinating about it all though, is that when you express being overrun or overdoing things, 
the suggestion is often like, why don't you just try doing less? Or why don't you just like slow down your career? Why don't you just, you know, step aside? You're only going to have like, your kids are only going to be this young once you're going to miss out on these opportunities. And I was like, nobody has ever said this to my husband when he stresses out about work. Nobody ever suggests that he scales back work. Nobody ever suggests that he switch careers. Nobody ever suggests that he is missing out on his children, but it's suggested to me on the daily because we really, and and I don't blame people for saying it because again, I think this is passed down generation to generation that we are somehow going to be able, that we want it all and that we can do it all at once. And I just, I'm fighting so hard against that right now. Oh my gosh. I just, so many fire points. And honestly, what, I don't know how I never thought of this before, but your realization that the laundry only affects you. Mm -hmm. So then let's not do it goes to show how, if it involves taking care of your kids, your husband, if it's, if it's anyone, if you're a woman doing things for others, we find the time, we get it done. We can do the favor, but you know, who's on the bottom of the list every day? us. Yeah. And to be honest, I also find that things like, like this morning I got up and I vacuumed because that's a point of shame because people can see that people can see the dirt on my floors. They're not going to go and look at my closet. So wherever I can hide doing the least amount of things is what I hide the most. And so it's a very fascinating thing to really come to face with yourself that even within what we do in a day, who is it actually serving? Because oftentimes it is rooted in shame and serving somebody else because I didn't vacuum my floors for myself. I vacuumed them because I knew my mom was coming here to watch the baby and I didn't want her to see my dirty ass floors. I also think that, you know, I grew up with a mom who is, if you could take mother goose and combine her with Martha Stewart, that is my mom. And she is, I grew up with like themed weeks. She bakes, she cooks, she cleans her house is immaculate. And I grew up struggling with the fact that I was different from her. And she never made me feel that. She never was like, you're failing because you're doing that. Or like, you need to be better. Never has that ever come out of her mouth. But because we are at a core different people and we are different women and we child rear differently, that's okay. Like I had to really release myself from not being my mother and let her just hold that crown, even though she'll never feel like she ever did a good enough job. And that's the thing. She'll never feel like she did a good enough job, I'm sure. And, you know, I don't know that I'll ever feel like I did enough, a good enough job. But at the end of the day, I, I think about it and I'm like, I've got a great relationship with my kids. Our house is chaos. I don't know that that's ever going to change. My husband and I are fantastic. I have this sweet baby who I'm, you know, learning about every single day all the things that actually matter aren't failing, but I'm sort of still failing myself within this because everyone's doing good. Am I doing good? And it's always the last question. Like you said, it's the last that we ask. We, there used to be jokes about mom's toast is always the burnt one because it's the, you know, she eats the burnt toast. So everybody else has good toast. It's this sacrificial role of a woman where she martyrs herself for the joy and the happiness of everyone else. And and the one thing that's helped me kind of break the cycle, and I give a lot of credit to Glennon Doyle for a lot of this um, thought process, is understanding that your daughters are watching. And I don't want my daughters to make the same mistakes I did in terms of falling on the sword for everybody else. So I'm working to free myself from a lot of it. And also when I struggle with that and struggle with guilt of taking care of myself, I remind myself that it is also for the sake of my daughters and my son. You guys, I got the cutest pair 
of gold huggy hoop earrings with these little chunky hearts on the bottom this week. And I'm obsessed with them. I literally have not taken them off. If you follow my Instagram, you saw these earrings. They are from one of RealPod's newest sponsors, Ana Luisa, spelled A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. They create sustainable, ethical, and beautiful jewelry starting at just $39. And now, since they sponsor RealPod, you as a RealPod listener can get 20% off their summer sale. Ana Luisa has new jewelry collections being released every single Friday, so you're always going to be able to find something new and unique. These earrings I was talking about are called the Jessica. If you search on the website, the Jessica, you'll see them. I'm obsessed. They're so cute. Please trust me. Not to mention, they also have beautiful necklaces. I got this chain link one. Those are so in right now. Everyone's wearing the chain link. Gold. Love it. Also, they have rings, bracelets, more earrings. And who wouldn't want to take them up on this discount? RealPod listeners get 20% off their summer sale. So if you want to find super cute jewelry at an affordable price... I absolutely recommend you head to shop.analuisa.com slash realpodsun to get 20% off their summer sale. That's shop.analuisa.com slash realpodsun and you can get 20% off their summer sale. Shopping earrings, bracelets, necklaces, and more. All beautiful pieces that will help accessorize any outfit. You have to check it out. If you have not seen already, we have merch. Yep, RealPod merch is out. It's the first ever official merch of this podcast. It is so freaking cute. It is high quality, and it's the perfect way to rep your favorite podcast and keep it real. There's a RealPod hat, which is just so cute. I mean, it literally goes with everything. I throw this hat on when I'm leaving the house, when it's sunny, when I'm not having a great hair day. It's a tan color, so it goes with everything. And there's this super cute RealPod logo, which we love. Not to mention, there's an oversized graphic tee. I mean, this tee is so cute. If you're looking for a graphic tee to have in your closet that's oversized, it's got fun colors, you can pair it with jeans, biker shorts, a swimsuit. This RealPod graphic tee is everything. And then last but not least, and yes, I did save the best for last. And as much as all three of these items are like my children and I can't pick favorites, I'm picking favorites. The RealPod shorts are the best shorts I've ever worn in my life. I said it and I have no regrets and I will 100% back that up if you order these shorts and you try them on. They are so freaking soft. They are comfy. They're expandable. There's a waistband. They're pink. They have pockets. I mean, who doesn't want a pair of soft pink shorts? So if you want to shop RealPod merch, head over now to shop.dearmedia.com slash RealPod. Once again, that's shop.dearmedia.com slash RealPod to shop the merch. We are sold out in a few sizes. So head over now before it's too late. Now, let me ask you this. From everything we've talked about so far, it does seem like, you know, whether it's your mental health or your self-care, that is kind of falling to the wayside. Yet, if we turn to maybe your Instagram or your content, it seems like your body image or your thoughts around your body and your relationship with your body is one you've learned to prioritize, accept, and love very much. Is there a disconnect between your ability to kind of prioritize your relationship with your body and then your relationship with yourself? If that makes sense, if we're separating the two. (laughs) You know, I think I've also just come to the point where I have done such intense work on body. I don't even know if it's acceptance, self-love, neutrality, whatever we want to call it. Let's not even try and label it. I 
removed myself from so much of life because of how I felt about my body. I missed out on a lot of opportunities because how I felt about my body. I said no to things with friends. I, you know, didn't go to the beach with my kids. Opportunities that were once in a lifetime and realistically every day is once in a lifetime. So I don't get those chances again. And so I've worked really hard to um, work on the vulnerable side of myself to free myself of a lot of these ruminating thoughts that were taking up so much space in my days and really holding me back from living and showing up. And so it has be through practice become an easy part of my work to kind of talk about those things. I also think because I know what mass distractions bodies are to women, especially, I have such a heart for it and being, you know, postpartum and I'll be real honest, even so far into this work, I never expected postpartum for the fourth time to knock me on my ass as hard as it did. And so it, it is like real time work for that. And I do feel like on a, in a way that I've prioritized that because it is sort of intricately part of my work. It's part of like who I've become, uh, my Instagram and why I've always said it's like a, I kind of have to change my title thing, but it says like a, a journey of life and love after massive change because I had lost a hundred pounds. I was struggling with my mental health. I was going through divorce, living at my parents, working two jobs and going through so much life change. And I was just journaling through Instagram captions, my way through what was the most wild time of my life. And that settling feeling is such an ebb and flow thing. Like I don't know, know that it's going to come for me, that I'm going to feel settled and good in any type of work, whether it's my body, whether it's my schedule, whether it's anything, but it's like that effort to keep showing up and talk about it. I feel like if you'd asked me three days ago, what was real and going on for me right now, I'd be like, I'm really struggling with the loose skin on my stomach. And re- even though I've done this work and all of this stuff, and I've talked about it forever, I'm struggling. I'm like in the ring again. But now three days later, I haven't thought about it so much. And right now I'm really struggling with like my capacity. And that's truly how my content comes to be. It's like a journal of what the hell I'm going through day in and day out. And understanding the human side of it is very different for everyone every day. I think my body was the biggest one though, because it was the most mass distraction from my life. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just in awe. No, I just think it's fine. The way you even think about your, all of the things that come up for you and that you're going through, it's so thoughtful and it's so curious and loving. Have you always been able to speak to yourself that way and have that type of voice for yourself? Because I think there are people out there who just continue to beat up on themselves. They continue to say they're not doing good enough. They don't deserve to feel this way, X, Y, Z. How did you shift to an inner dialogue that allowed you permission and allowed you compassion? So years ago, I went to a therapist who told me that I was a sponge, that I really was struggling forming my own opinions. And and a lot of this was, you know, me talking to her about people pleasing within a relationship that I was in, in my old marriage. And uh, she really had said to me, you know, I want you to kind of spend some time with yourself, start thinking about your own thoughts and start, you know, wondering what your own experiences are and what your own thoughts are about things and about life and the world. And I was like, okay. And I just was blown away forming my own thoughts for the first time and really taking time to capture it and write it down and spend time with them. And I think that this is 
such a human experience that we, we realize that no thought is original thought. We really do learn everything from everybody else. Like from the beginnings of time, our first narrative words are through the sounds of our mother in the womb, right? We, we come through this world experiencing and sponging what we've heard and what has been around us. You know, I remember when I was young and they used to, I don't know what, who was saying this. They were talking about bad music and television and then they're like garbage in garbage out. And I was like, right. It's kind of like that. You are what you eat type thing. It's sort of like what you hear is who you are and those are your thoughts and that's who you become. And so I had to really focus on if no thought is original thought. And I understand that I am a collective of what I've heard and learned where do I land on things? What it, what are my feelings around things? And I felt really apologetic about the fact that I was incredibly soft about stuff, that I was highly emotional. If I paid attention too much to the leaves falling, I would just start to weep or that I would get so immense. Like when I ate food that made me happy, I would like do a little dance. And I felt almost embarrassed that I could be that simplistic. And I wanted to find like why can't I like harden myself up for, for life and like get tougher about it all. And so a huge priority for me was just listening to who I was and eventually coming to terms with the fact that I am a soft person. I am somebody who the pendulum swings two different ways. I always say my platform will make you laugh or make you cry. There is not a lot in between. I don't know how to do anything else. That is genuinely who I am. There's not a lot of like quiet moments for me. My mind is chaotic. Therefore, my life is chaotic. My thoughts are chaotic. And they bounce around through so many different things, but I've spent time to listen to them and to form opinion and allow those opinions to be wrong, allow them to change, allow myself to evolve. But it just came down to like a core effort to hear myself, which I didn't do to like, like realistically, I was like 29 when that therapist said that. With your postpartum struggles, and I purely ask this just out of curiosity, what is it like to have your body change tremendously Mm. and then also not want to fall into that. I mean, and then have that pressure of that post baby body or fall into that method of like, how do I lose weight? I mean, how are you navigating the changes that you've felt? Because I was able to pay attention this time around pregnancy and postpartum, I was really fascinated by what happens because when you are pregnant, you have a permission slip to change. You have a permission slip to grow. You have a permission slip to like have cravings and give into them and eat whatever you want. It is cute. It is adorable. Everyone loves you for it. And it is like celebrated (laughs) when you're struggling. They're like, but you're carrying a baby. That's normal. You're supposed to do that. You step on the scale to gain weight. It's all about, are you gaining enough? Are you doing? And so there's, it's a really, really difficult situation when something drastic like giving birth and your body immediately deflates because you have stretched so far and it has to, you know, it takes a lot of time um, for some people, a lot of effort to kind of go back into anything and at the same time fight this snapback culture, which essentially happens the moment you're pregnant, you will start to get advertisements on like how to gain the least amount of weight, how to keep a fit body while you're pregnant, how to do this, that, how to have the fastest snapback. And whether you like it or not, we are all watching other women go through birth and postpartum and we're watching it like it's a race. Like it is a little bit of a timeline. Like, is she going to be okay? Is she going to go back to her body before? Or like, oh, that's so sad. Like she got so many stretch marks. I'm I'm like, there's a grief that exists. Like 
common grief that we do collectively because we understand the conditioning that has existed on our bodies. Now, for me, when I got stretch marks the first time, I'd never seen anybody with them. I'd never seen anybody else who had them like me, who got them as extremely as me. So I fell into, I would say, a depressive state around my body. And that was my stomach was the point in which I targeted myself the most. So even as I was like losing weight and everything, I could never have a belly that was like what everybody else had. It was going to be an impossible thing for me. So it was the thing I hated the most. I had a really hard time ever truly seeing my body doing its job in the right way. The fact that our skin has this like magic ability to stretch, like if you think about what stretching is, it is like to stretch and to bend without breaking. The fact that our skin doesn't literally rip open while it expands to like grow a human. And then we're like, oh man, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I look disgusting. This is like, you feel failure. You feel like you've done something wrong. And in the whole time, your body has just done exactly what it was supposed to do. It has shown up for you in the most extreme ways. And the world looks at you and says, you know, I wrote something about this once. It was like, your expectation is to stretch, to bleed, to birth, to breastfeed, to to work, to clean, to do all these things and make it look like nothing happened at all. Make it look like nothing occurred here. When everything occurred here, you literally passed a human through your body. You grew it with your organs, with your blood, with your efforts, and then you nourished it with your body. But please make it look like nothing happened. And the more I kind of, every time I sit in this mass discomfort over this change, I have to sit and say, it's okay because everything happened here it's okay to see that change. We wouldn't look at the world having, if we see like an earthquake happen or, you know, a mass event happen, we wouldn't be like, what a failure of the earth to crack that way. We would be like, this is an instance of just what, like, it is just what it is. And my husband's very like scientific in brain. And I would be like, I have like a one day I was having a shit day and I was like, I have so much loose skin. Like, I don't know if this is ever going to go back even to what it was after three kids because I'm 36 now. And he was like, yeah, but you know, there was like a whole baby inside of there. Like what he's like, that's just how it works. Like that your skin stretched. Like, why are you even where's the why are you struggling with that? Like, it was just so hard for him to even be like, And he was like, you literally had a baby inside your body. Like you pushed it out. You're worried about this, like your loose skin. Like, obviously there was like a whole friggin'. Do you remember how big your belly was? Like he was just almost taken aback that I could even sit in those thoughts. But there is a grief that happens. And I think it's important to acknowledge that grief happens through change and through, you know, when your body has shifted or when you've come from, you know, having your body be something before and now it looks totally different. And People don't congratulate you when you're postpartum. They congratulate you and they think you're cute when you're pregnant. So when you're not anymore and you're eating for your cravings and you're moving through this world again and you're healing, it is not met with the same type of reactions. It's met with a lot of hesitancy and a lot of urgency around making it look like nothing happened at all. Wow. This is honestly just to hear because I I haven't had to go through these things, but it sounds like you have a grasp on what your body did and and what the messaging should be and how it should be appreciated. Yet, even three days ago, you said you're struggling with it. So 
how do you try to do the work? You know, if on, I, I feel this way all the time with like anxiety, depression status. I'm like on paper, I could instruct someone else how they should work through this and appreciate it and be curious and X, Y, Z. When it comes to you and you know, you know, what you want to feel or what the truth is, how do you like work through that? Like how have you been able to now today have a different struggle and your stomach isn't the focus? Yeah. I mean, it's so fascinating to me that we expect people that are in teaching roles to know it all and not be constantly in a place of learning. My favorite restaurant in Guelph uh, is this Thai restaurant and they're the most incredible humans. And every year they shut down their restaurant for like six weeks and they go back to Thailand and they learn new recipes and new things that they do. Every therapist that I've ever met, they go to therapy themselves. They're working on themselves as they're helping others. Everybody who works in a teaching role often has to take refresher courses or learn new things. If you're a history teacher, history is changing all the time, right? Like it is always stuff within the past. So we have so much expectation yet on our own selves to somehow be past something in order to show up or talk or teach about it. And so I I pretty much consider myself in the arena. Like I am in it right now. And I think that that is such a teachable place um, to exist in. I think it's beautiful to be able to be learning and talking about it while you're in it, not just as a reflective past, because we all could like speak back on our past and say like, this is what I would have done differently, or this is what I learned from that experience. But if you were talking real time and learning from your own like personal experiences, I think that's just as cool. And so I really just tried to show up being like, I don't really know what's going on, but I will. My commitment has been that I will not hide away. So while I struggled before, it was a lot more like I'm finally appreciating my body again. I feel good in it. I'm wearing two piece for the first time. And now it's like, hey, I'm wearing a two piece and I'm super struggling with this. And today, in order for me to not be distracted by my body, I'm going to wear this really big T-shirt. And it's okay to also have that. As much as we have these messages of like, just wear the shorts, it's also okay if that's going to distract you so much that you don't find yourself in this day. What can we do to continue the work in loving and appreciating yourselves and removing the distraction. That should be the goal, removing the distraction, removing the distraction. And sometimes for me, it's like finding joy in, you know, wearing that two piece and really rocking my body. And other times it's like, I can't be distracted by you today. I've got other things to do. You're on the back burner and really understanding that it's going to swing so many different ways. And that is a very different message than I maybe would have said two years ago. And I think that's what's so cool about being in the arena is, you're back into the fight and you remember what it's like. You, you get gritty with it and, uh, you're reminded of who you are and the tenacity to keep going, the tenacity to bear images of yourself that were the most uncomfortable things to take and being real about what that feels like being real about what it is like to be in a body that has changed so drastically. And I think that's one of the important parts of healing in general, whether it's from body image issues, eating disorders, addiction, anything someone's struggling with is this idea that you're just going to understand it, apply, and then like love your body for the rest Mm -hmm. of your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, just not really going to happen. You're going to have days where you don't love it, but how can we work through that? How can we pivot? How are we strong enough now to climb this, this hill today? So I think that's such an important point is... 
I think we're all going to be in the arena our entire lives. Yes. And I think anyone who tells me they're not in the arena, I'm like, okay, then, you know, uh, all you're, you've done right. is figured out what tools to get through it better. That's all it is. That's all like, at the current moment. Like, right? too. So like, it's not about how to get past things. It's figuring out the tools that you can collect along the way to help you navigate them faster so that you aren't standing in the mirror and freaking out for an hour. Maybe you're freaking out for 10 minutes. What can we do? What are those tools? What can you grab onto? (laughs) Who can you talk to? Who do you need to unfollow? Who do you need to mute? Who do you need to like, what, what do you need to be reading on? What do you need to be reflecting on and journaling on? I don't journal, but like, that sounds good. My journal is my Instagram. So I guess that's that, but (laughs) it really is about the tools that you collect along the way and just being quicker into action. Speaking of who you talk to and that support, obviously from your story, it sounds like you have a really loving husband Mm. who, you know, is there for you. And I, I'm not married yet, but I've been with my boyfriend for five years and I feel like similarly with my body image and things, and he's so supportive and, and I get asked all the time, you know, like how much of an impact does that play in your self-love? Like to have unconditional love from a partner Mm. and have permission from them almost like people say, would you post this way if you were single? Like, and I, I'm still thinking, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how much of, you know, your partner has played a role in your self-love journey. How do you break that down? I think initially when I began to talk about, you know, my body was a lot of like, it was a little bit for the male gaze. Like, is this attractive? How can I, how can I make myself look attractive and really rooting into like what that meant. But I also have found that like, when I first started dating my husband, I did a lot of things that I teenage self would be, which was the last time I was single and compared myself to everybody he's ever dated, made myself feel like I had to be the best of them all. If I was the one he was ending up with, I had to look like perfect. So that meant my body had to be a certain way. I had to be the best in bed. I had to do this. I had to do that. I had to cook. I had to clean. Again, I was like conditioning myself to like be better than anybody else he's ever met. And it put me again on this like performance track that really gave no honor into who I am. And the fact that when I look at my husband, his body's changed so much over the years. Like he has changed so much over the years. The reasons that I love people and people love me, if I were to name a list, if I was to go down the list and be like, what are the top five reasons that I keep this friend or that I have this, that I chose this husband that, you know, my mother is a good mother where on the list does their body land? Because it's pretty far. I might say my husband's beard, like number eight, but again, like it's not, (laughs) it's so, it's not that it's, it's not that our bodies don't land anywhere. Cause I think attraction is obviously there. And like, there are certain physical aspects to that, that we have to understand because it's like inside of us. Like it's, it's our impulses. It's like, um, I don't know what that other word is, but you know, it is in who we are and our instincts. That's it. But like you might think somebody's hot, but if they're wet cardboard in conversation, you're probably not going to have a great relationship with them. doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter how hot they are. Even if Ryan Gosling and Ryan Reynolds came into a room and they were the hottest bodies you'd ever seen, you've never seen anything hotter and they were dicks, you probably don't want to be with them. Like a hot body isn't actually the end, the be all and end all. So I had to really remind myself, why do I love people? Why do I love everybody else? What are the things that make me feel 
good about these relationships makes me want to be a part of them. And it was all in, you know, I love that my husband finds that one person in a room that nobody's talking to and strikes up a conversation. I love that, you know, when somebody he worked with that he didn't even know was going through a breakup, he was just like, come on over, let's chat it out. I love that my husband will stay up till like midnight playing checkers with my son because my son wants to learn about checkers. I love that he kisses me on the shoulder every morning and tells me he loves me and has never to this day commented on my body, even when I've tried to make him. And I have swung 50 pounds during our time together in the past five years, 50 pounds of difference. And I'm, he, he's never made a comment because he loves me for things that my body is not on that top reasons of why. And so if I can hold him in that type of regard of like why I love him, how can I do that for myself? How can I remember that I am so much more a person than a body and who I am and who I am as a person to other people matters more than what I look like. And if somebody wants to put my body top of the list of my value, they are not somebody that I value in my life. But it's a practice, right? Because we are very believing that our bodies are the most important part of us, the most attractive part of us, the threat within our world that if we change, we might lose our relationships. We might lose our opportunities. We might lose the likes and lose the attention and lose the validation. And, and it's a cycle that you really have to work hard to break out of. I love love and all the things you just rattled off like it was nothing. I mean, so cute. So oh, he's the precious. most adorable human. It's, it's actually annoying. He's the best. He's just such a such a good human. He's really bad at communicating sometimes, though. Like just for an example, he like as we were coming into this podcast, he was like, we got to take the van to the shop. I'm like, since when? I have a phone call in 10 minutes. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, I guess I'll Uber home. <laughs> so like, we're really bad at like <laughs> schedule communication. We have our like major weak points, but. The fact that like this last year and even like technically we're newlyweds and we've been married for two years and going through a pregnancy in which we couldn't have sex. Like I was put on pelvic rest due to a condition in which I could die and the baby could die. We couldn't have sex and I didn't want to do a whole lot of anything else. I couldn't exercise. I couldn't do a lot. I was sick the entire time and he treated me no different. He never made me feel like it was my responsibility to take care of him on top of doing all of this stuff. And like that is that shouldn't shake a woman, but that shook a woman. Like that shook me to be that supported through that time. What a sweetheart. And honestly, as he should, as yeah, they I'm should a deal. treat us. I'm a Costco package, me and three kids. It was a great deal for him. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So what about people who are sitting there? I mean, honestly, probably thinking, okay, where do I find someone like that? Mm. Someone who would support me or like, should I, or they're thinking, Sarah, should I not settle for someone? Like, what if I'm with someone right now and I've kind of been, eh, and I'm listening to you right now and I'm like, oh, they're nothing close to that. Would you say don't settle? Like, what is your relationship advice, I guess? I have to plagiarize Oprah right now, not plagiarize her, but like I, from that podcast that I listened to where she said something about you teach people how to treat you. And I maybe got lucky with somebody who had knew how to treat me in a good way, but essentially it is, it is on me a little bit to make sure that I hold up a standard in how I'm treated and that I form relationships in that way that are, that are mutually beneficial. And I think to be fair, going through a divorce really made me never want to be in a relationship again. And it made me want to like shell up and be like, I'm just going to have fun. I'm never going to do anything. And then I met my damn husband and he's so freaking cute and just so nice. And I was like, frick, I was actually <laughs> frustrated about it. Cause I was like, I just wanted me time. 
But I also was at such a phase then where it had to be beneficial to my life or it was a drain. And I had no time for a drain. I was living with my parents and working two jobs, trying to get on my feet. I had no room for somebody who was going to take more. I had to be somebody who added into the picture. And that was across the board. Like I was at a time where, and everyone will hit a phase in their life where they are the drain. They can't be the fountain for everybody else that they will be the drain. It's really uncomfortable when it happens. But I mean it where my friendships went to, hey, you want to do groceries together? My relationship became, I worked at a restaurant. So my husband would come literally at like 10 o'clock at night when I was finishing serving tables and just sit at one of the tables so I could see him and talk to him between times. That was dating. That was what dating was like with three kids and two jobs. And, but he did that because that was worth the effort for him. It was, he was a long game kind of person and we were probably foolishly in love. But I do think that I had to hold myself to a standard of, I have no room to bullshit another person to thinking that I am something that I'm not. So I was brute. He would be like, I love camping. I'd be like, I hate camping. It's the worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> I had to tell him everything about me. So I, I didn't want to create any surprises. I had no room for bullshit. I had to be so honest. And at the same time, this is like at the crux of me figuring out who I am. So of course I'm being blatantly honest about it. And I'm like yelling it into the atmosphere of his existence. And, and you know what? He just allowed me to do that. I've changed so much over the last five years through everything. And he just, I don't know, like he adds into the situation. And so we very much have a marriage that maybe this is controversial, but is divorce is always on the table. We're both divorced it's always on the table. We know that. So to have a relationship that you choose every day and the freedom that you feel in a relationship that you choose every day and that person has chosen, it is like a jail-free zone. And so it is a lot of like, if this relationship is going to work and we know that at any time it could end, what are you going to do today? And so when I think about myself and my own conditions for my own relationship with myself and the thing I'm working on is how do, if like, I can't divorce myself, I'm in this forever in the long haul, but what can I do today to make it a good one? What can I do to um, treat myself with the same energy that I would treat every other type of relationship and prioritize that person? Divorce is always on the table is hilarious. And honestly, but I, I, I see the appreciation of like, look, we're going to be together forever, but that doesn't mean you can just you totally change, start disrespecting mm. me, not pull your yeah. part of the bargain. You know, that that totally makes sense. And the teach people how to treat you quote, I have to talk to my mom after this because not that my mom ever claimed she came up with that statement, but my whole life, my mom's been telling me you teach people how to treat you, but she's a big Oprah watcher. So I'm sure I'm, I'm sure it she was, you got to listen to that podcast. It honestly I, I, like, oh my gosh, yes, I want to shattered glass. I listened to the first um, episode or two, but Oprah is on my, I've already downloaded. I'm, I'm dying to listen. Ooh, Sarah, thank you so much for everything you shared with us today. You are absolutely fabulous. And I feel like with Instagram, sometimes, I don't know if you feel this way, but I get a pressure of, oh my gosh, am I like as wise and as inspiring and as blah, blah, blah in real life? And if you've ever felt that way, I'm just going to assure you, you are 10 times your Instagram, which is impossible to do because your Instagram's amazing. But just so you know, I, I think you're wonderful in so many ways. I look up to you. I really do. And thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me the space to go on many long rants about life and our existence in it. <laughs> I'm whenever anybody's like, give me an elevator pitch. I'm like, do we have an hour? <laughs> I know. I love honestly, it. Honestly. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week seeing behind-the-scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep real.